welcome to another edition of the Campus Hunger Project podcast, where we examine the current issues college students are facing when it comes to food insecurity. I am your host, Monica Sager. Today we are talking with Mary Sherman, a VISTA or Volunteer in Service to America leader with Campus Compact of New York and Pennsylvania, where she provides programs and resources designed to meet the needs of members. In college at the University of New Hampshire, Mary earned her bachelor's in sustainable agriculture and food systems. Overall, Mary has been an extremely dedicated advocate fighting college hunger. Welcome, Mary. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for the lovely introduction. <laughs> Can you start by telling our audience a little bit about yourself and why the issue of food insecurity is so important to you? Yeah, sure. So Mary Sherman, pronounce she, her. Um, so I am from the Catskill region of New York or downstate if you are from anywhere outside of New York City or Long Island. Um, so as Monica mentioned, I obtained a Bachelor of the Arts in Sustainable Agriculture and Food Systems. And my concentration area was in community development from the University of New Hampshire back in 2018. Then I began serving as an AmeriCorps VISTA immediately right after that through the Campus Compact of New York and Pennsylvania at Mercy College in the New York City metro region. Always a big mouthful. But essentially what I did at Mercy College is I oversaw the campus pantry, uh, lovingly known as the MAV Market, and other basic needs and securities responses. So I served here for about two years and I actually completed my second year of service on July 17th was the official last date. So I am currently serving as a, an AmeriCorps VISTA leader through the Campus Compact of New York and Pennsylvania, where I uh, mentor and pretty much provide support to about 26 VISTAs at partner institutions throughout the region, so New York and Pennsylvania. And I'm also currently pursuing a master's degree in higher and post-secondary education at Teachers College Columbia University, and I will be hopefully graduating in May. Fingers crossed. That all sounds really great. And we'll get a little bit more into the VISTA um, information and stuff you've been doing. But before that, what was the situation around having sustainable and nutritious meals like at the University of New Hampshire for the typical student while you were there? UNH is really, uh, has a very deep uh, rooted mission in sustainability. You know, it started off as an agricultural school, called them cow colleges back in the day, but presently it's deeply involved in sustainability. This is one of the, the overarching pillars. So I used to actually work out on the farms that provided some of the food to the dining halls. And I also used to work in the kitchen downstairs, making these huge vats of Alfredo sauce. Um, but UNH was really dedicated to providing nutritious, wholesome meals to students that were on a meal plan. It really catered to the residential population. This was the majority of the students there. And the rest were, you know, commuters, things like that. But for the folks that were on campus, there was this big dedication towards sustainability. And these concepts were really deep, deeply ingrained in the, the multiple aspects of the, the institution. You know, I was a resident assistant and one of the, the, the quarterly themes was sustainability. So, you know, there were just, there was Healthy UNH, which was a, an initiative throughout campus about healthy eating, partnered with sustainability, really looking at the personal environmental wellness from the, the, the greater global perspective, but also the personal environmental wellness, um, as well as free nutrition counseling services, um, it really just a plethora of resources. They also had a, a group of peer mentors to help with folks who are experiencing disordered eating. So there, there were a variety of sustainable and nutritious options. Unfortunately, much of it was very whitewashed and quite westernized. So it really, you know, it catered to the 92% white 
population of UNH. Um, and that, you know, there is some groundwork in that that is totally fine, but it also is not very inclusive and does not open up the students to, you know, experiences outside of New England. Now, when you say it's whitewashed, does that mean that students of color were more likely to be food insecure on campus? So I do not want to quote a inaccurate number. There was a report that was sent out probably my second year, and I don't believe that there was a focus on the breakdown of, uh, you know, racial disparities on campus. I mean, just based on the state of the nation, they're probably, you know, folks that were not white were experiencing higher rates of food insecurity. This was true throughout the state of New Hampshire. And really that's where my focus was when I was an undergrad, was looking at state-based uh, food insecurity, not so much campus. Yes, I would say absolutely that there was a racial disparity at UNH. Um, and during my time there, um, there was quite a bit of, um, my last year actually, there was a, I would say uprising um, called the 8% Speaks. And this was an incredible group on campus. And it was the 8% non-white student population that came out and held an open forum and you know, really initiated a lot of anti-racist efforts on campus. There was absolutely an issue on campus, so yes. That's really cool that they stood up though and raised their voice. Was there anything of that sort happening with food insecurity? Like were people talking about that? So there was discussion of food insecurity on campus. 92% of the population on campus was white. So of course, a lot of it was very much directed toward the white population. However, there was Swipe It Forward program on campus. It was part of Swipe Out Hunger. It was one of the uh, subsets of it started by Alana Davidson. And this started, it really kind of creeped in when I was in my second year. So um, I was doing more of the agricultural stuff at this time and focusing on the statewide uh, food insecurity. But she ran a report and found that about 15% of the campus population was food insecure. And that's compared to, you know, between 35 to 50% uh, at institutions throughout the nation. So UNH had a relatively low food insecurity rate. However, who knows what the uh, incentives were for this, this research and whether or not there was a large commuter population that bonded. But another program on campus called the Ways Meat Center, I cannot say enough good things about the Ways Meat Center. It really grounded my foundation in service and civic engagement. Um, and it is a, it's a food and resource pantry, but it's also a, kind of a resource center. And their mission is really to it's create positive change through direct service grounded in compassion, uh, equity, and social justice in the New Hampshire seacoast and surrounding communities. So they provided free uh, free food and resources to folks on campus, as well as folks throughout the entire seacoast region. Um, you know, we never turned folks away uh, at the, the pantry services and they hosted community dinners. Uh, they had meditation services, support groups for um, just a, a variety of identities and we're a very prominent voice in a lot of the advocacy efforts that took place on campus. So there were definitely some supports that were around and talk of it, but it was really in its infancy because campus food insecurity really has just, knowledge of it has skyrocketed recently. So it, during my time, you know, so long ago, two years ago, um, there wasn't a tremendous um, a talk of it. So do you think more could have been done then? 
Absolutely. You, you know, my two years working uh, or serving at Mercy College saw firsthand the different types of services that really could be provided or offered, how to go about it. UNH took a very discreet approach, was more along the lines of this is something to be ashamed of, you know, email us secretly. And that's just not how I think that uh, basic needs and security should be addressed. You know, I, I've experienced my own set of needs and securities and it can be very demoralizing to feel like you're just another number or as if, uh, you know, you are in need, essentially, that you are less than because maybe one of your needs is not being met. So foundationally, you know, there was this disconnect with what the students wanted and what this response should look like. And there also weren't services. These things weren't advertised. You know, I was an RA for two years and the only reason I could be on campus or I could even be a student there was because I received the free housing and meal plan. I could not have afforded it. Otherwise, you know, there, there should have been SNAP application services. There should have been uh, a professional closet, which I did hear that there was after I graduated, which was situated in an old building in the middle of nowhere off of campus. So I think the Ways Meet Center really stepped in and kind of acted as that pillar for students who were, who were experiencing, you know, any type of hardship or tribulation, whether it was related to your physical basic needs or just your overall wellness. So there was absolutely so much that could have been done. You know, they have a lot of experts. They have the folks in there that can come up with these initiatives and plans and programs. And trust me, the folks were there and they were having these conversations. It really just came down to what administration wanted to pursue. Do you, the students need to bring this up or is this something that administration needs to start? Off? You know, this is, it's an interesting question because it depends on what the student body looks like. So if you have a primarily residential campus, you're going to see more advocacy efforts on the ground from folks that have this time. And they, a lot of times the folks that are able to, you know, be residential students tend to also have, you know, social mobility or come from a more privileged background. Um, and so their advocacy efforts are going to look a very certain way. But on the other hand, let's say, you know, for at Mercy, for instance, this was primarily a commuter school. And one thing that I had difficulty with originally was mobilizing students to get behind the MAV market. One of the biggest issues was not recognizing the barriers to being able to participate in advocacy, not only the physical barriers, not able to be on campus or participate in meetings because you're at work, but also the, the trauma that people who have gone through these hardships have experienced. And it can sometimes be reliving this trauma. And that's something that a lot of faculty and staff, it seems like they get frustrated at when they want students to speak up and voice. You know, they really don't realize what they're asking students to share. It can be very exhausting just to reflect on scholarship appeal applications. Having to pour your heart out on a piece of paper and especially, you know, I, I myself, I experienced this at, at Teachers College. I really had to talk about the hardships that were brought on by COVID and how difficult it was to navigate and where I'm not really in a position that I envisioned myself at. And having to, you know, just lay this out on the paper and relive that trauma just to get some money to feel like you're worthy of financial assistance. So 
when it comes down to advocacy on campus, yeah, the students have the voice. The students are the ones often experiencing this. Students have a large role to play, but it's also up to administration, faculty and staff. If you are professionals in the realm of higher education, you are doing your students a complete disservice if you do not know about these issues already. If you think that campus, if you think that college should still be for white middle-class boys, step into reality. That's all I have to say. Step into reality and actually fight for these students and allow them, provide the platform for students to stand in their power and advocate because it's so exhausting if you don't have those resources or tools to do so otherwise. And as we mentioned in college, your major was specifically taught you about food insecurity. Is there anything that surprised you? I came from New York. I grew up in a household where, you know, the recession hit us very hard. Um, and I would say that we were on the marginal food insecurity line. So just towing the edge of food insecure. And there were times where it definitely felt so. So learning about food insecurity, you know, this was something that was like, oh, it was more of a recognizing of my own experience. But it definitely opened my eyes to how systemic disparities are really impacting certain populations, specifically the communities of color, the black community in the country and how history has just progressively again and again made it very difficult to have this, I guess, social or economic mobility and how that in turn impacts food access. So really, you know, majoring in sustainable ag and food systems, you know, I had the whole ag side and I learned about how there is more than enough food to feed the entire population probably three times over and the amount that we waste on that. And it also gave me a perspective of historically what uh, agriculture has morphed into and even how land access and, you know, so things like subsistence farming, how that has impacted our connection to food. Um, so it really went beyond just the, you know, low, very low marginal high food security level. It went into our connection with food as individuals, as communities, and how this has been morphed throughout the years and how it has impacted how we exist and how we perceive health. And it really just gave me an entirely a more holistic perspective on what our relationship with food looks like and how this is presenting itself in basic needs and securities. And how has that translated now outside of your college career? Sure. So I would say, you know, I'm very fresh into my current position, but for the past two years at Mercy College, you know, I came in with these textbook understandings of things. And so, you know, I, I really did get a nice foundational groundwork and organizational skills and things like that. But at Mercy College, I really came to, to understand what this looks like. You know, I had my, my own experience in difficulties, trials and tribulations, but I came from a white middle-class family in upstate New York. So my experience is just a teeny weeny little piece of what, you know, folks throughout this nation experience throughout the world. Um, and so getting to know the students at Mercy College, the community, the faculty, the staff was absolutely transformative and really, I don't want to say open my eyes, but provided a great deal of perspective as to what it's like to exist 
in poverty in this nation and navigating going to school, caring for your family, caring for cousins, living paycheck to paycheck and also going to school, what that looks like. My family absolutely, you know, backed, impacted and supported my immediate family growing up and how that's not always a reality for folks. But in relation to my actual major, you know, it showed me, it was like the statistics behind when you actually go in and do something, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, it was the foundation, it was the groundwork, it helped me build something from there. And it really was learning and essentially shutting up and listening to everyone once I got on campus. Can you tell me about what you did do at Mercy College on that project? And did it help change the culture on campus? Absolutely. So I will talk about the math market into my dying days. Mercy College is a home to me. The, the administration, the faculty, the staff, the students, the alumni, everyone on campus is just uh, so wonderful and really has been an honor to be able to get to know these folks and to be able to serve them. So the project itself, the MAV market started off in 2017 October by Felipe Hanau and Hannah Burling and a few other key individuals, of course. They started off one room in our Bronx campus, open about once a month for about four hours, stocked with student life funds at BJ's. So I came in around July of 2018, little old me, and my task was to essentially strengthen the pantry operation. So I came in and of course, a lot of these things that happened is because they had one person designated to, you know, overseeing the operation, but my task was to expand the, the pantry operation. So I expanded our pantry operations to our Dobbs Ferry, Manhattan and New Rochelle campus for a short time, but New Rochelle was eventually phased out as the school itself closed. But it was to expand the pantry expand our open hours. So we were open, oh goodness, about for about eight hours prior to COVID at each location. So we were essentially open Monday through Thursday, staggering at each location. I worked to secure funding, uh, donor engagement, uh, grant opportunities, volunteer mobilization and recruitment. And really, it just came down to learning from the community and building a program that was for them. So the MAV market really holds its foundation in something that I value very highly and I'm very, I guess, proud of almost in a way is how we move in wellness. So we really based the pantry model out of the, the eight dimensions of wellness, which is a very common kind of theory practice on campus in higher ed, you know, throughout the US. And we really looked beyond the, the traditional, oh, these students need food, let's give them food, which there is such an incredible amount of merit and, and importance behind immediate support. Looking at what can we do to provide, you know, the tools and resources for students to A, stand in their power, but become, you know, self-actualized, self-sufficient, and eventually, you know, support the MAV market. And it really was just a communal space that's really awesome that you're giving them almost more power than you having the power with them coming to you. I, like I just that. do the ordering, honestly. I do the ordering <laughs> and processing. Was there any specific stories that you could share about your experience? 
We had some incredible student leaders come through those doors. So at each campus location, so Dobbs, Bronx, and Manhattan, we hired a federal work study student. And we had six women throughout the course of this time. And they were, are some of the most incredible, powerful women that I have ever encountered. You know, they're freshmen through senior year of college, whatever their age may be, whatever their major may be. We had a vet tech who was working in a campus food pantry. Was just such an honor to be able to get to know them, but it was so much fun to watch them bring themselves into this project. So we have you know, I had a student that was a nutrition nursing major and she wanted to do the, the recipes. That was awesome. We gave her that opportunity to do so. You know, we had like a Canva account, things like that. Another student was an incredibly talented singer. Share your stuff on our social media, you know, build up our social media presence all the while getting paid for it and really being very intentional that, you know, okay, a lot of this has to be volunteer based, but also students are putting a lot of labor out there so we have to be you can't ask someone to do free labor um, especially in that setting and being very intentional in making sure you're paying your students that are doing these things they are so incredible and i'm still in touch with all of them actually even after i've left mercy and it's been so wonderful to get to see them you know just navigating their lives and just so proud to see where they've they've gone and all the things that they've accomplished and i just can't wait to see all the fabulous things that they do in the future. So it really, I think that is the most special piece about the MAV market for me. It was the student leaders. It was to get to know them, to provide any tools that I could to support them. Now then looking ahead, do you think that the MAV market has prepared um, Mercy College to face food insecurity better in the future? So I would say, Yes, I would say yes, absolutely. The pantry itself is an immediate food response. We did during COVID, I worked one-on-one -on -one with folks to refer them out to pantries that were closer to them, minimizing the amount of risk that we were putting our students in to come on campus, pick things up, and really building our online presence. So that was something that I worked tirelessly at with the onset of COVID-19 was ensuring that we had a strong resource guide and uh, network of individuals to every one of our members. So, you know, the pantry itself, the MAV market itself is well equipped to be handling this upcoming year and whatever. Is there a final takeaway around food insecurity that you'd like to leave with our audience? Absolutely. One thing that I'm very adamant about is moving away from this traditional deficit model that we have that kind of is almost the groundwork a lot of times for pantries, not just campus pantries, thinking that folks who are food insecure or housing insecure or experiencing homelessness or houselessness are less than or lack a certain quality. Enough of that, you know, for campus food pantries, especially you are on a higher education institution. You are at a resource hub, like enough is enough. Move forth in wellness, recognize the beauty and the power that and, and the strength that all of your members, clients, recipients, whatever you call them, hold within themselves and operate towards fulfillment and self-actualization. You know, one of my favorite quotes is an old Irish saying, and it goes, and that means in the shelter of others, people live. You know, we are 
we are all in this together. And in the face of adversity, we shall persevere. So do better for your community and recognize the strength that your community holds within itself. Awesome. Thank you very much, Mary. I love the work that you talked about that Ways Meet Center and that the MAV Market are doing and the support systems that they're offering that include that diverse advocacy plans and things just beyond food because food insecurity affects a whole life and not just a stomach. And so hearing all the resources that are being provided, it really made me happy. And at the same time, I 100% agree that so much more can still happen. So I 100% appreciate all the work and advocacy that you've been doing. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful chatting with you. That's it for today. I'm Monica Sager. See you next week for our next episode of the Campus Hunger Project Podcast.